What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of City Image. Wow. We're here, y'all. Mike, mm. we told you we were going to be consistent. Consistency, Consistency is, the key. is the key. We are here. It's major. And man, do we have an episode in store for you guys. Wow. If you guys enjoyed last episode's uh, White Evangelicalism, man, today is the conclusion of that. And man, we have a special guest in the building, but I'm going to save that for later. Mm. You already know it's your boy, Rich, the husband, a.k.a. Mm. the artist formerly known as Young Flatbush, mm. in the building. In the building. In the building. To my right, sexy as always, uh, mm. always debonair, always hey, making me fall. Hey. Danny, the creator, how's it doing, guys? Pleasure to be here. So, so, so good. Dope. And across from me, my man, my brother, mm. my Brian, goodness. the theological giant, not any giant, no, no. the theological one. It's mm. good. Much love, man. Great to be back. It's Feel good, up. man. How you feeling? Good, man. You look good. Thank you, man. Mm. Not Danny good, but good. Oh, man. Well, that's all right. I mean, I know Danny. That's like a perfect standard. True, oh, true. We all God, fall short of the Lord. Of Danny. I'm just as a Danny. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But, yo, the fade's been getting good, you know. Yo. Yeah. Good I'm reviews. The shape up with the fades. That's been getting yo. a good. It's been getting good reviews. Or, I'm a little jealous. Okay. Mm. I can just go half bagel or no hair that's, it. that's all i got I, mean, I, I would go fade but i spent too much time oh no, 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 no don't no, touch no, perfection no no no, no, no don't no, touch no, perfection yo, don't you, you don't you dare <laughs> you won't, you'll lose all your power i know i know you're, you're too illustrious you puerto rican samson don't <laughs> facts word word much and wow. man oh, we've man. got a dear friend a wow. dear brother wow all mm. of our lead pastors um Man, we have the privilege of knowing him, growing with him, being discipled by him. We have none other than the Shogun of Flatbush, <laughs> James James Roberson. Hey, talk to the people. Fire. Hello, hello. How's everybody doing? Fire in the booth. It's good to be here. I'm excited to be here. It's done though. I'm honored to be here. That's what's up, man. Good stuff, bro. Well, cool, man. I really want to start this time off, man. We have a just a uh, crazy thing happening in our world right now. Just so many men just being called out for exposed, just yeah, exposed, just for all kinds of deviant behavior, um, sexual advances towards you know minors and women and boys and just. It seems like every day is just like yo, who is going to be in the headline today? Um, just man just behavior that um you know they're ashamed of tried to cover up still trying to cover up um just wanted to get y'all's take on it man how have you guys been processing it what do you think this means uh for our country um just for all this to be happening i saw a segment even on the breakfast club Mm, charlamagne talking about rape culture killed that yeah man man. i really appreciated him exposing hip-hop which is something that Mm -hmm. i feel like we don't hold accountable to man um what it does in in that vein how it degrades the women in our society and things like that so want to get y'all's take on it man just kind of off the dome man what are your thoughts on what's been happening yeah you know i think it's it's been crazy it has been a sense of like you wake up every day and you wonder who is going to be next (laughs) you know like whose whose perception am i going to be totally you know changed and transformed like who am i going to see differently today um but one thing you know i think it's good i actually think it's really good because i think um 
we're finally putting that to the same standard, right? The same mm. value mm-hmm. yeah. um, on something like rape or like, you know, assault. We're kind of finally putting it where it should be held, right? And actually, I, re- I realized this, um, how much, like, in a sense, rape culture is so prevalent. I remember I was actually, I went to a bowling alley, right? And I was with a bunch of people. And this was a, uh, probably about, like, seven months ago, right? And they had, like, an oldies night kind of, like, and for us, oldies is, like, the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. And so they played music videos from the 90s and the crazy you know (laughs) stuff that we used to digest normally growing up um it made me like so much aware about how this has affected us as a culture how it affected me personally like Mm. you know it has affected my view of women you know how much i've seen women um sexualized um at growing up and um yeah it's definitely affected our culture and i think we wonder why we have so much issues with that nowadays and um you don't have far to look you know mm-hmm. yeah man i think for me everyone you know a lot of guys are getting exposed but the one that kind of uh shocked me the most was kevin spacey yeah and the reason why is because i'm a huge kevin spacey fan mm-hmm. um house of cards is probably my favorite show wow um and like when he got kind of got exposed, I was like, "Oh man!" I'm like, "Dang!" And I start feeling convicted. Like now, nah, I can't ever watch House of Cards no more. <laughs> I can't, you know, ever do any of that. But it, you know, again, it kind of, again, it kind of reiterated that talent never, ever, ever betrays like your character. Mm-hmm. You know, you be super talented but wicked at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, what I did find was interesting, though, especially with a lot of these guys, you, you would hear people saying, yeah, you know, we've always known for years that uh, Kevin Spacey mm-hmm. was doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. And what I found was interesting was like, well, if you kind of knew for years that Kevin Spacey was doing that, so, and it was not just him, but a couple of other these other people, too, who were being exposed, like, yeah, you know, you know, so for just, I can speak on Kevin Spacey, but like, you know, one commenter was like, yeah, you know, he would just you know, have these sexual advances towards men on set. And we've known this for years. And I was like, okay, well, why didn't anybody speak up about that? Uh-huh. Why, why, you know, and it was because Kevin Spacey had this power. Uh-huh. He had this um, sort of like, no one's going to believe you, the accuser. Kevin Spacey is who he is. Yeah. And nobody wants to try to go against him, try to expose him. Um, but, you know, and so a lot of these guys were just kept safe because of their power. And so, it, it does remind you of the the power dynamic, man, that oftentimes people with money and, and fame have and the people who are abused and they tend to abuse people who won't, you know, speak out because they don't they don't have that equal status in society. Right. So, you know, again, it just speaks to the fact that a lot of people are in pain and hiding and not wanting to um confront this because they feel as if they won't be believed um so those are just kind of some of the thoughts that were running through my mind yeah you know i think it's interesting when you look back at uh from bill cosby yeah bill o'reilly to even bill clinton Uh right so you have all these people who they were called out but there was a whole host of people that were called out in the 90s that there it wasn't effective you know and even bill cosby wasn't effective so there was a lot to put on the line for a woman who had no power to look at a man who had power. And in a lot of ways, power and sexual prowess kind of went hand in hand. Mm-hmm. You know, So if you were somebody who was making a lot of money or you had a great TV show or whatever, 
I think that people just assumed that you could do whatever you want. Hmm. And, I, and mm. you know, not just the Kevin Spacey's of the world, but um, Louis C.K., like you guys yeah. are talking yep. about. Sure. And, I mean, and the crazy part is that Louis C.K. had as part of his shtick hmm. of going in front of people and masturbating. That was his yeah. shtick. Wow. So then that actually comes out. So this man that. was so bold <laughs> to not only masturbate in front of women, but he put it as a part of his comedy. Like, comedy. Bill yeah. Cosby, I think, had a stick on putting pill and pills into drinks. Wow. Mm. And he put it a part of his comedy, too. Yeah. That's insane. So, so when you don't think you can get caught, mm. I think it gives you a lot of uh, leverage. I don't. I mean, obviously, as Christians, I think we try to have compassion even for anyone. But there is a part of me that, um, you know, when people aren't called out for a very long time mm-hmm. um, and when you're in a culture of, of sin, sinful acceptance, uh, you begin to believe this is what you're owed. So like we, you talked about um, who's the playboy you have you have you, you know, you, uh, you guys earlier made a joke. You can maybe say it again, but. Do we really think those young women liked him? Or, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, do we? Right. And isn't this when I went when we went to Cancun? I went to Cancun. And there oh, were all these man. older guys with younger women, yeah. and and we just accepted it, right? We mm-hmm. don't question it because we presume, yes, you in your geriatric stage, you are valuable enough for this girl who's twenty five and looks incredible. That makes sense, mm-hmm. and we all mm-hmm. know it's a lie, yeah. right? <laughs> so there's a part of us that. We're 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 kind of blind to some of these things as well, and I think we're gonna have to peel back this uh, this issue in the culture for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. until we wake all wake up. Yeah, I'll say two quick things. One, <clears throat> my prayer is that um, even for us as leaders, even in the church, that yeah, we would so not good. fall to temptation, not necessarily mm-hmm. in a sexual way, but just man, um, that abuse of power is something that's always a temptation that's and so when you have true. somebody hanging on to your words yes. when you have people who just respect you and who, yes. who do what you tell them to do yes. um, there's always that temptation to abuse that power Absolutely. man and just consistently praying that um, God would never um, just allow us to just fall um, into a place where we're using that for a personal gain yeah. Yeah. things like that and number two kind of piggybacking on that is just like man praying for the church because i haven't heard any pastors yeah. kind of come out in this in this piece but um part of me is just like man it's a matter of time yeah um, because mm-hmm. if it's in the world it's in the church and um i'm just praying for congregations that um as the fallout you know from this happens i know that a lot of people are just going to be speaking up a lot more about about these topics and just uh, praying that our witness um, would just not be tarnished by you know people who are abusing their powers. Well, let me just not and not to correct in any way, but actually, pastors and secretaries, this is actually our lane. Mm. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. this yeah. is, we actually dominate this space. <laughs> you have the market. It just hasn't come out lately. Lately, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. We haven't sure. had a hashtag Me Too, right. yeah, John Piper type stuff. Oh right. God, so, no! Yeah, it would, Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> That would wreck my soul. Oh, oh my it would gosh. wreck. I'd, I would go into a state of not knowing where I, what was life about if that happened. Well, I'm just saying, I you could go back to Jessica Hahn. Sure. I mean, just so many different little secretaries with oh, the gosh. pastor. It yeah. just yeah. televangelists. Mm-hmm. It goes on yeah. and on. But to your point, 
uh, even the guys, our heroes, yeah. it would it would uh, be devastating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's also and even us ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's also important for those of us who are complementarian and you know believing in roles for men and women that we don't take that in an unhealthy way where we kind of give men so much power mm. in the relationship that you know if women find themselves in an abusive situation yeah. that they don't feel comfortable in the church accusing you know maybe their husbands or their fathers or something like that yeah. so we have to be very careful that we are t- empowering women yes. that women feel safe to come forward um that they are in these situations so you know while okay we, we do believe that men are the head of their households and hold um eldership in churches but we definitely don't want to you know have that power be um, misused in any way or exalted to the point where women feel timid and ashamed if someone yeah. abuses that power. So it's yeah. great, man. Man, well, I really appreciate you guys just kind of sharing your thoughts on that. I really believe we have another episode in the making just to kind of unpack this a lot more. Yep. Um, so really, guys, just stay tuned for that. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be continuing mm. our conversation on white evangelicalism. We're really going to tap into the mind of Shogun of Flatbush. We're going to get into the Flatbush. mind of James Roberson and just really ask him, man, like what his experiences are. Um, just planting churches, just his role, um, just in church, period, just kind of his own experience. So much to glean from him. So, guys, keep it locked. We'll be back in a second. City image is the best. What's going on, guys? This is City Image, and this is Daniel, the creator. And it's your boy, Young Flatbush. And Bryant, the theological giant. We just want to thank you so much for all the support that you've shown us thus far. But we just wanted to ask you guys to remember if you haven't already to like us share the content if it's blessed your soul uh subscribe review us on itunes we're also on google play and if you want to keep up with us on social media you can check us out on facebook city image we're also the city image on twitter and instagram and if you want to get in contact with us you can hit us up at city image podcast at gmail.com and again thank you for the support peace And we're back. Thank you guys for hanging with us. We are Skitty Papa. <laughs> two plus two is four. Minus one is three. Oh, man. Man, so just want to thank you again, James, for being here on this podcast yes. with us. You could have been anywhere tonight, but we just thank you for being anywhere. with us. Blessing our audience today just with your experience. Why don't you just give us just a little background on you and just kind of how you've come up in ministry. Um, just take it away, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously I'm a church planter now, uh, but my initial ministry experience happened through college ministry mm-hmm. and uh, played college ball. I'm on the right track. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Play, play college ball. Once, once I got done with college ball, uh, found myself on a college campus with my old friends, with my old fraternity friends. And I wanted a space where I, I felt like they would come to. And so in light of that, found myself um, helping to start a campus ministry. Hmm. So that was kind of the first embers uh, of mm-hmm. a desire to start something. 
And from there, God placed on my heart, obviously, to go to seminary. So I started off at <laughs> Dallas Theological Seminary um, and then would eventually end up at Southeastern Seminary. And then through, you know, of course, this vision of, of starting something uh, connects you to denominations and whatnot. So I would eventually plant with the Southern uh, Baptist Convention because they are the largest denomination in the world. And church planting, for the most part, if you're going to do it in an attractional type way, hmm. uh, you are going to need to probably have some kind of backing sure. and connection to other resources. Cool, cool. Appreciate that, man. Well, the cool thing about podcasts is that people are able to hear us, but they cannot see us. Mm -hmm. And so just want to let people know, James is an African-American man <laughs> who has planted a church through the Southern, Southern Baptist Convention. And so, man, can, for the people, can you just give them an overall experience of just, man, how have you encountered white evangelicalism just through your journey? My, my, my. Well, when you first start out and when I first started out, I didn't obviously think of anything like, I didn't even think of it so much as white evangelicalism, and I wouldn't even know what that term was. Uh, the first thing that I thought of was there was a girl in my class that was in a ministry called Young Life. Okay. And then she led me to a group called The Navigators, and they would disciple me. And then uh, all the Navigators guys went to this thing called Primetime, which was the weekly meeting for Campus Crusade. And so when I went to went there, I mean, I was one of three black people <laughs> in the room, but they I really enjoyed the Bible study. I felt like I was learning something and my church experience. I had not really learned anything about the Bible in a way that I felt like matched the kind of detail I was getting in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of the a lot of the word I was getting in church was very inspirational, but it just didn't have any kind of depth, mm. you know? So, so that's, that's why I saw it. I saw it as, you know, here I am, I'm going to go and get connected with these guys. And then once you get a part of a culture, mm -hmm. you start to unknowingly take on some of the values of that culture. Yeah. So whether it's a John Piper and at that time, <laughs> Everybody was listening to John Piper tapes mm -hmm. and Tim Keller mm -hmm. and Tim Keller had Much just love. planted. He had just planted Redeemer at the time. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're like, oh, OK, these are the guys. And then mm -hmm. you're hearing about Tony Evans and then you hear about Dallas Seminary. So then, you know, you walk into this space where they're teaching in a way you've never heard mm -hmm. and it just compels you. Mm -hmm. And over time, you uh, you unknowingly create a hierarchy where the black church, the experience you had growing up mm. becomes a, uh, um, not just a sub form, but you, you almost become disgusted with it yeah. because you said, man, I didn't get any of this, all mm. these Greek words, these Hebrew yeah. words. Nobody mm. told me about what an apostle meant. I didn't know mm. what the definition of apostle was. Mm. I didn't, I didn't know who wrote all the books of the Bible, you know, and you, you have this disdain mm. for the experience you had. But something happens over time. And with my experience with white evangelicalism, I think that I first started to, in a sense of, you know, they use the terminology woke. Mm -hmm. and the first time I really started to awaken to what I would consider a difference with me and evangelicalism in general was when I was at Dallas Seminary. And I remember that I began to just bring up cultural topics at the time. Mm -hmm. 
uh, Denzel Washington had won an award for uh, when he's like, uh, I think, gangster. Some training kind of, Day. Training Day. Yeah, he had won an award for Training Day. Sure. And I think Holly Berry had won an award and she was like a prostitute. In, yeah. uh, that Monsters Ball? Monsters Ball. Ball. Yeah. And, I, and I, just, I just referenced like to one of my friends. I was like, isn't it funny how Denzel Washington has done all these different, like hmm. he's done all these, he's, he's acted all these different uh, parts, but it's when he's a thug, he gets an award. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, Holly Berry's done all these parts, but when she's like a, she's a prostitute, she sure. gets an award. And this phrasing of bringing up the race card oh, and wow. all these mm-hmm. different things got thrown at me. And I noticed that obviously politics was a taboo subject, but race was a taboo subject. Mm. One in which some of the black dudes I was around were uncomfortable with as well. Mm. And so this led me to leave Dallas Theological Seminary and go to Shaw University Divinity School where my dad was the dean of the seminary itself. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get a cultural experience of like, Mm. I want to be amongst blackness while I learn theology. And I would eventually go on to graduate from Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. So what is, you know, it's a very big question of what was my experience. What I eventually would come to realize was there are some great people sure, within evangelicalism. And when I use the phrasing white evangelicalism, I'm not talking about the pigmentation mm-hmm. or I'm not talking about stringy hair per se. Mm-hmm. I am talking about a unique way in which White supremacy filters its way into a theological belief system by making people believe that the way they do things is the right way, holistically. Yeah. So, um, uh, man, I, I look back at when I was a. <laughs> this is. I hopefully y'all edit some of this, please. Praise God. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's drawn and cut. <laughs> we live right now. <laughs> when I was a kid, I. Uh, in 1988, I got a high top fade. Okay. This was a huge deal. Mm. Yeah. Because at the time, you either had a low haircut or you had a mini fro. Mm. And I got a high top fade. And I went and at my church, at the barber shop, everywhere I went, everybody was like, yo, you got a high top fade. And I had a part in it as well. Because Let's go. Big Daddy Kane had a high top fade. <laughs> yeah. He had two dancers, Scoop Lover and Scrap Lover. And so they had a part in their hair. And so I got a part in my high top fade. So everywhere I went, it was like, yo, this fade is amazing. I was like, oh, thank you so much. So I walked into school and uh, my school uh, was majority white. I walked into this one class and the teacher saw me and I remember she was like, uh, what'd you do to your hair? And Mm -hmm. I said, oh, I got a, you know, it's a high top fade. And, you know, she she was a teacher. She was older. I could tell she wasn't really into it. But I remember she said, what is that in your head right there? And I said, that's a that's a part. Uh. <clears throat> and she said, that's not a part. And I said, yes, it is. It's a part in my head. Uh-huh. And she had her hair parted. Oh, wow. Mm. And she said, no, 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 that's not a part. This is a part. Wow. That's a, they cut that line in your head. I brushed my hair and that's how I got my part. And I remember getting into this debate and conversation with this woman about what a part is. And as I'm talking to her, I'm like, no, a part is when you have a line in your head, whether it was cut in there or brushed, mm. it's a part, period. Yeah. 
And one of the things that I saw in that conversation was I had to elevate the conversation above what she was trying to suffocate me with culturally Mm. to understand what a part is, whether it's shaven in or brushed. And that's really been my experience with white evangelicalism, yeah. whether it's preaching or wow. whether it's theology. That's so good. Mm. You know, they, they will tell me, I'll never forget, you know, when I would get approached about preaching and it would just kind of be like, you know, the best way to preach is expository word for word, line for line, this, that, or the other, you know, and I'm like, well, so you, what you're saying is, is that this is the way to preach. And I'm like, well, I think Charles Spurgeon was a pretty effective preacher and he preached topically. I also think Jesus was an effective preacher and he preached topically as well. Mm-hmm. And so now you're in these debates and you're just like, but wait a minute. But above all that, what is preaching? And I think what you see is that when Jesus is on the road, on Emmaus Road, and there are two dudes with him, they end up walking away and they end up saying, did not our hearts burn? Mm-hmm. You know, and there's something happening on the inside of them sure. that's deeper than just the methodology. And so when methodology becomes defined by, you know, methodology can be mixed with supremacy. Mm. And so you're just, you're, you, so you, so you have to like, just the same way that I had to be like, wait, I went home and I'm like, do I have a part or don't I have a part? That's <laughs> the way I felt in seminary. Like, w- wait, yeah. is this, is this who I am? So all the music that I grew up listening to, they essentially saw my church as junior church, the black church. I don't even think they take it as a legitimate church. Um, And, you know, I'm not even sure if black churches are counted in evangelicalism in the percentages that they look at. So part of my experience is a seminary looking out saying, we have pure doctrine for you. Mm -hmm. We have history for you. We have Greek for you. We have Hebrew for you. And it looks like it's this pure you know, cup of cold water that you're going to drink and be like, "Mm, this is great. And then you start bathing in it and you're like, oh, I'm clean now. I'm clean. Not realizing it's not pure water. It's actually bleach. Mm. And what they want is they want you to become like them, yes. you know, so, wow. and Good, they, they want you to take <laughs> away. Yo, you hear the dimes this man is dropping right Shogun now? Shogun with the blade out. Shogun <laughs> is with the blade out, fam. But they want to take away everything that I've come to realize. So, and, and the saddest part, which I'm sure you all have discussed or at least put out there is that the reason why my father went to New York Theological Seminary and got his PhD from Fordham, the reason why he only could go there is because conservative seminaries, one, made a decision to only stay in the South, but two, they made a decision not to accept black men. So so there's this cyclical reality that you've not accepted a, a form of people, and then you demean this group because they don't meet your standard. But even bigger than that, in white evangelicalism, they still operate by some of the same supremacist thinking. The only thing they're doing is allowing more colored people in mm. but they're still operating with some some of the same su- supremacist way of thoughts so it ends up being like a golf club where we we let you in we allow a certain group of people in but those people aren't changing the way we think yeah mm-hmm. and so I, I think that evangelicalism could certainly use a dose of being more multicultural not just uh, multicolored so oh, that's good oh, oh. that's so good man James, thank you so much for. I feel like I just heard a sermon. <laughs> Yo, that was amazing. Um, Brian, Danny, any thoughts on what James said? I, I had a question that came up um, as you as you were talking, and I don't know, you know, just you know, just run with it. If you have any, th- any thoughts to it, you can um, 
definitely share your thoughts to it. But um, as you were talking and, you know, you brought up, you know, the methodology that um, white evangelical culture has versus the black church culture. And as someone, you know, who, you know, I... I'm heavily, heavily influenced by reform thought, kind of European, you know, quote unquote, white culture. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a part of me that feels uh, even though, granted, I'm, you know, I'm I'm charismatic and, you know, I'm a I'm a -er Mm amener during the (laughs) sermons, you know, uh, I have elements of, quote unquote, black church culture inside of me. I would be lying to say that I haven't been influenced heavily by European mm-hmm. um, sort of thinking um, to the point where I've had to check myself on black church hate. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, but there's times where I felt kind of like a sellout, kind of mm. like a, like someone who isn't f- fully a son of the black church. Mm. Um, and so what would you say to people who, who really do feel like they get s- some truth from our white brothers and sisters, but like, you know, they're still wrestling with this identity. Like, should I, should I, because sometimes I feel like I honestly wrestle with whether or not I should be reformed, mm. right? Because there's a sense in which, like, culturally, this is not what my people know, but I open up the Bible and I see it there, mm-hmm. right? And so, I don't know. I don't know. If, am I clear in what I'm saying, what oh, yeah. I'm asking? So, yeah. I mean, what do you, do you have any thoughts well, to that? Well, this is you- what I love about what Rasul did with John Piper. Sure. Where he took a article from John Piper. He took an article from John Piper and dismantled it, appreciated parts sure. of it, but dismantled it for what it was, That's which good. was an unwillingness to look within himself, mm. an unwillingness to. So, and, and as long as our evangelical brothers continue to make racism not systemic, but only individualized, only hate words, things of that nature, but not not anything to do with prisons, not anything to do with schools, things of that nature. Then what ends up happening is we, black people who get amongst white evangelicals, but never critique white evangelicals, never sure. critique reform theology. What ends up happening is they get into these white contexts and then they always talk about Creflo Dollar. Mm. They always talk about armor bears. They always talk about what black folks is doing. And it is a form of self-hatred because they are, they are, uh, exalting white worship, mm. white preaching, white theology, and they are diminishing black preaching, black theology, black churches. And all I'm saying is use, and that's the thing that I love. I see what brothers doing now, you know, use the same tools they gave us to understand context and apply it to America. It's good. You know, look at, look at what evangelicalism did in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and now. So I think that as long as we use the skills and the tools that God has given us through our white brothers, of which I appreciate, Mm -hmm. but we help them to see themselves. Because as Tim Keller says, oftentimes white people don't understand they have a culture just like a fish doesn't understand it's in water. So you have Mm -hmm. to help them to see there are certain norms that they've created that are not meant for everyone and everywhere. That's good. That's good. Thanks for that. Mm -hmm. That's really good, man. Uh, James, I kind of want you to unpack a little bit, you know, going back to your analogy of, man, this cup of cold water that we think we're consuming that's actually bleach. Um, man, when we are bathing ourselves in that and we are 
kind of whitewashing ourselves, what are we losing in the drain? You know, um, <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, this is going to be on the tape. Um, <laughs> Take your time. Black, I just find it shocking. As a church planter, if I was planting a church in South Korea, I would not just study the people. I would study the churches because the, in studying the churches, I would understand not only what the people experience within the community, but I would understand also how they respond to God. Uh-huh. For some reason, black and brown men take white pastors worship leaders and churches and they try to take everything and just repackage it amongst black people and they don't study black they don't study churches of that culture so for instance black people tend to be a very narrative people when you look at most of our churches you see that and 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 you see of course you can look at a ralph west and see that there's preaching that is done with high intellect but it's done in story form it's call and response it's connective it's emotional it's visceral and you see this amongst people that they are narrative they're visceral they're soulful but now you saw john piper and now you see tim keller and now you're going to try to intellectualize a bunch of black people and that's why we see all these evangelical black churches tend to struggle because they're really trying to repackage whiteness into black forms. Mm, so wow. one of the things is like, it, and and don't get me wrong, just because you are black does not mean that you, that's you. But if but you have to look at the type of people you're trying to reach, who they have been, and what they listen to now. And so now you got this. You know, you got a guitar up there and, you know, we're just doing Hillsong all the time and you're just like packaging whiteness for people and you don't even want anything that's soulful. So I think that we we rob the beauty of God's diversity when we don't allow we don't allow people to flourish in the way that they are 90 percent of the time. Yeah. But now we want to repackage you into evangelicalism. And take away your cultural nuances. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that there's a lack of appreciation for how we're made. Um, and I think at the end of the day, we need to study the culture as if we're not a part of it. Mm-hmm. And not try to change the culture. I think that's part of what it is. It's like, we need to know more Bible. So they just try to just shove Bible down the throats of black grandmama. She ain't, she been mm-hmm. listening to church the same way. And that's what I did. I tried to teach my dad. I tried to teach my cousins. Mm. I tried to I tried to change them to get them to be more like people in my seminary. Huh. But I'm trying to win them. Uh, so, so then, uh, uh, yeah, so I think we need to do a better job of studying cultures that we're a part of uh, um, and learning cultures that we may have even grown up in. That's so great, then. man. I love that you mentioned your dad, man. Could you just talk a little bit about... Man, what have you gained from him? You know, him just, you know, being a pillar in the black church and kind of seeing you in your journey. I'm sure you guys have had some great conversations. How does, um, from his perspective, how does he view your journey and things like that? What things have you learned from him um, as you look at the space that you're in versus the space that he's in? I mean, my dad was frustrated and there was a level of rejection Mm. that he felt and probably to some degree still feels, um, 
you know, there is a there is a uh, linguistic fallacy. And it's when we say Southern Baptist Convention is about the South and the National Baptist Convention is about being national. Talk about it. Mm. The Southern Baptist Convention, that word is code word for slave, mm. slave owning missionaries. My, my, my. And National Baptist Convention is code word for we black and have our own thing. Mm. So my dad is just like, why would you go to a place hmm. That you know, I I I talked with you one time, uh, Rich, about Uber mm-hmm. and taxis, and how you told me how taxis rejected you as a black man trying to go to Brooklyn, yeah. and now you exclusively use Uber mm-hmm. because you know you have the freedom to use Uber when you want, and it would be weird. Mm-hmm. If your daughter comes to you and starts selling you on the taxis. beauties of taxis and whatnot, and you're just yeah. like, I remember when I couldn't they wouldn't pick me up. That's what I'm saying. And my dad is just like, How can you? Mm, and you're trying huge. to that's you're trying crazy. to tell wow. me about SBC. I, let me mm. tell you. And and so this was kind of the tension wow. that we had. But at the same time, I was like, you know, Dad, I just don't fit. I don't hoop. I don't. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I can't really get with all you're doing. You know. And so. Going back to the Uber analogy, I mean, the, the, the app just changes things. And so they met me where I was at. And yeah. so I, I was able to connect to them. So I think that was kind of the distance my father and I had. Mm. But I think the connection that we, we've we had is this kind of coming back, especially with the election of Trump. Yeah. Kind of coming back and, and my father being able to just... You know, my father's like, we've been woke. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> all these people. We, you know, and, my, my, and, my. and 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 him helping me to see not just, you know, when you only look through the lens of evangelicalism, you see liberation theology as completely a fail. But when you look through the lens of a man who was born during that time, um, you know, you tend to see why those theologies were built out. So I think my dad was able to give me a good picture of why a James Cone existed. Yeah. Um, and, and why many of those books came to into existence. Mm. Yeah. So, um, just to kind of follow up on what you're saying, though, um, I think, you know, I definitely appreciate what you said, but your dad does raise a good point, though. Right. Mm-hmm. In the sense that, you know, Certainly you connected with them, but um, does your connection warrant going back to people who once kind of, you know, enslaved you or, you know, kind of rejected you? And so, I mean, I would agree. I mean, I'm a part of the SBC, um, so I know where I stand on it. But to those people who would still really struggle with that, what allows you to 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 come back and partner with individuals who have this history and may have you know sort of repented about it and you know written statements like yeah we're sorry about this but still very clearly i mean even a few months ago the sbc could not come out and without hesitation um didn't you know denounce was it white uh supremacy what was the, uh, the alt right the all right right yeah. so um how can we you know what what gives you the patience i guess or how how do you navigate that space? Like, how can you validate still being a part of something like this? Well, this is the American experience. The American experience is for black people to go to a school called Robert E. Lee. Hmm. It is to have a state flag to be a Confederate flag. Sure. It is to have a school be called the Rebels. 
It is to have Redskins. Mm. It is to have <laughs> Braves. And it's to have the Southern Baptist Convention. To be an American is to be a in a space that um, ignorantly uh, celebrates its past as if its past is sanitized of the savagery of the American Indian, of the savagery of slavery. Uh, this is what it means to be an American. And uh, partic- white evangelicals tend to be ahistorical. So in many ways, they you come up in a world where history is not an important thing to you. Mm. Um, so I realize and I recognize that many of, many of my brothers and sisters who may love a Lecrae, Mm. you know, or they, they grew up on hip hop and all this other stuff that we have some shared experiences. I realized that there is a whole generation of people within the Southern Baptist convention that don't have as these areas that I'm easily able to point out, right. they don't have those markers within their mind. They are about missions and they want to see black people come to the Lord. They want to see Latinos come to the Lord. But when it comes to justice, they have a major blind spot. And they mm. and so I, I find it my calling. Um, mm. It's really a God thing mm. um, that I am in this space in order to be a voice. Yes, good. And a friend. Mm. Yeah, it's good. It's amazing, man. Um, so, James, I want to hit you with a quick lightning round. Okay. Uh, so we've gone through the archives of your Twitter feed. Uh-oh. And we got a couple tweets. <laughs> I'm going to read the tweet. Uh-oh. And just give us um, like a quick, just unpacking of what James, you... I'm just saying, prepare for the angry emails. Prepare for that. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we don't lose supporters. Yeah. <laughs> so the tweet is... To win the next generation, evangelicals should focus less on their perceived oppression and focus more on how they're perceived as oppressors. Well, I mean, uh, Russell Moore has a a really good book on politics or really on winning America. And what he says there is what I think we should all embrace. And he says that Christians should not, in essence, see themselves as the moral majority but they should see themselves as a prophetic minority. And so hmm. when you're a minority, you don't presume to have all the rights. You have to fight for rights. But as the moral majority, you presume that prayer in school should be a certain way. You you assume that you know birth should be done a certain way, that marriage should be done a certain way, all within the guise of Christianity. So... Um, not to say that those things shouldn't be fought for, but when you think America is yours, then you presume that you're the Native American being sav, you know, and, mm-hmm. and gay people are the the pilgrims coming to take your land. Sure, um, they're the colonizers. Um, so, so it's helpful to see store the history of this country in its fullness. Awesome, awesome. Next tweet is. The great lie of the evangelical church is that the topic of race is a hard conversation. Hard for who? Well, unpack that. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean by that, James? At the end of the day, I, 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 you know, I feel sad for 
the churches that I go down to in the South and they have never done a sermon on race. Mm. They just, they've never done a sermon on race. They've never had a conversation wow. about race. Many of their people have never done a blog on race. And when you ask them about, oh man, what's it like to be in the Southern Baptist Convention? Well, the, you know, I've had these conversations about the Southern Baptist Convention and the background of it. And many of them don't know. They think that this word Southern means down South. Um, <laughs> so it's divisive in their minds because they've just not grown accustomed to the conversation, but it is a necessary one and it'll wake them to reality. And black people have a unique advantage of understanding reality and the true history of this country. That's great, man. Man, James, a lot of our listeners are people who are struggling with this topic of race. They are um, constantly hearing, man, should I just be focused on the gospel? And we know how dismissive of a statement that can be. Um, just so, just for some practical applications for people who are in churches, they're they're frustrated. Their churches aren't talking about this topic, or when they bring it up, they're kind of getting shut down. Um, for people who don't attend churches like the church we go to, man, what are some things that they can do to start to break down the walls of white supremacy, white evangelicalism mm-hmm. in their community, in their church? Uh, what what can they do? Well, I think the first thing is that you. You know, you have to make a decision, right? Part of being in a church is accepting the flaws of that church Hmm. and accepting the blind spots of that church. So if you are in a white evangelical space because you enjoy the preaching, you enjoy the worship, and you enjoy the community, and there's a part of you that's not able to thrive because of its there's no cultural nuance, then you are going to have to lead up and you are going to have to at first acknowledge this church is broken and the leadership is broken and I need to be a part of helping and and also acknowledging your brokenness as well. Right. Um, but that being said, uh, th- this is not the time. You're not, I mean, you don't need to bust down the door of the pastor to get him to submit <laughs> to you. Because if that's the case, if you need the church to submit to you right then in this area, you just need a different church. Mm. But um, but if you're going to be patient with them, then I think that when you know, you're know you in small group and they're going around and then you be honest, say, hey, I'm struggling with you know the Eric Garner situation and it's really hard for me right now. And um, and people get silent, you know, and <laughs> awkward and it gets awkward and mm-hmm. you become that guy for a second and then you bring it up again. But I guarantee, you know, and I would even say, I pray that one day we could, you know, talk about this more because it's something that I'm really wrestling with and struggling with. And, and I just pray that God would open a door, not for evangelism as much as for, for fellowship, mm-hmm. that God would give you fellowship within your fellowship. So, James, just to kind of follow up with that, is there ever a situation where uh, you would counsel someone to leave a church that is not being culturally um, kind of relevant to them or probably? Well, let's just start there. I think maybe the deeper issue of um, participating in injustice is one thing, but sort of like just they're not being culturally sensitive to this issue and it is really hurting the person. Would you ever counsel someone to, to leave a church? That's just like that. Well, the, unfortunately, I think that, you know, when we talk about nine marks of a healthy church and things like that, oftentimes ethics are left out. That's right? good. Mm-hmm. So, Very good point. Um, uh, and I think 
see, to me, evangelicalism, the theological problem is why why is there a liberal church and a conservative church? Uh oh. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what is the what is the whole essence? And when you look at liberal churches, for the most part, they have a over they they have this hyper sense of justice, and they have this hyper sense of freedom and 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 deliverance. And part of this personal piety and this heart theology that you get in the conservative world, where you know it's you and Jesus, and then over here in the liberal world, is that this? I mean, think about it. We're all looking at the Bible and we're just emphasizing different parts. Mm-hmm. And I think that evangelicalism is broken. Mm-hmm. It is just simply broken and it does not have a clear sense of justice. Meanwhile, Jesus is a poor man from Nazareth yep. who hangs out with poor people. And the funny thing is evangelicalism has decided to make Matthew 28 their mantra, whereas hmm. liberalism decides to make Matthew 25 their mantra, i.e., yeah. I was hungry and you did not feed mm-hmm. me. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. So we both are circumventing one another <laughs> to get to our different yeah. uh, a- a- agendas. And interesting, though, Matthew 25 is a judgment text, but that's a whole other <laughs> conversation. But my, sure. point, my point is, is that, um, so when you do not see a passion for the least of these, you should be concerned for that church. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus says on that day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he he actually says, you will be surprised. Yeah, you'll say, Lord, Lord. <laughs> you know, so Matthew 25, so you shouldn't just say, Should I be here? You should grieve mm, for that good. church. That's good. Because Jesus says. This is something that it will be a part of his evaluative measure um, when it comes to heaven. Mm. So good, man. Man, James, thank you so much again just for being here. I wanted to just give everybody a chance just to give their final thought on this topic as we kind of close the chapter. For now, we'll definitely, um, you know, there's a chance we could kind of come back to this in the future. But as we kind of close this chapter on white supremacy, white evangelicalism, just kind of final thoughts to leave with our listeners. Well, as as far as I'm concerned, you know, I'm encouraged by this, by this awesome. podcast. Mm. Uh, yeah. We out here trying, man. We trying. <laughs> it's basically bridge radio. We just trying. It's basically bridge radio. So. <laughs> bridge radio. That's awesome. It's uh, appropriate that you're on. It's good to be here. Uh, but um, and no, I appreciate you guys. Uh, something we've been talking about in church, but just you guys shooting your shot, putting it together. Um, it's a thing, and it's and it's you know just moving it down the moving the ball down the field, um, but. We are in a unique season as a church. Not, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about Bridge Church. I'm saying as brothers and sisters in Christ, mm-hmm. um, race is a topic that has started, and it you know it started with Trayvon Martin. Yeah, that to me was a linchpin. You know, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, and then you have to talk about Trump, and this is a milestone yeah, that's huge. happened. Yeah, and the church, as we have seen it, the the white evangelical church is struggling with its identity in this season. Yeah. And those of us who have positioned ourselves amongst evangelicals, we cannot just be the bearer of rage. 
Mm. Um, and we cannot use mm. wokeness as a as a unique form of narcissism, saying that we have this higher knowledge, right. but we have to be able to use the knowledge we have as servants. We are not judges of white people. We are servants to our brothers and sisters. So, so good. So man. the experience that I have doesn't make me woke, whatever. It, it just makes me, uh, I'm discouraged. I'm, I hurt. Uh, I, I, I'm frustrated, but I'm, I'm, I'm like Jesus, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a man of many sorrows. You know, I'm, I'm trying to help my white brothers see what I see. Yeah. yeah. And That's I'm good. willing to go the distance. And in many ways, I have to be an abolitionist for their minds. Mm. Yeah, man. I don't really have much to add to that, man. But I think I'm just right along that same vein. I was just very encouraged by what you said, even as you kind of talked about being in the SBC and seeing yourself as that voice. Um, I I find that I meet various kinds of black people or minorities as they talk about this issue. And I don't think that anyone is wrong per se, but there are some who uh, this is very painful for them and they can't engage in these types of conversations because it's hurtful. Right. And that's just where they are emotionally. And that's fine. No knock to them. You have to know what your, your psyche can deal with. But there are some, I feel like who've been equipped to, to engage. Right. And I, I find myself, I get frustrated and I get hurt and disappointed when I see certain things by evangelicals, but I always feel um, a deep passion to, to engage, you know? And so I feel encouraged. um, You know, I don't know where my life, you know, why did I end up at Westminster? You know, why did I end up reforming? I don't know why God did that. Right. But I know I'm going to be in two spaces. Right. I'm never going to be that Presbyterian child of Presbyterians, but I'm never going to be that guy in reform. I'm never going to be that. But I'm probably never going to be what a lot of people see as authentic black church. You know what I mean? And I don't know why God made me the way he made me, but I know that as I have to kind of straddle these spaces, I'm going to do my best to engage. You know what I mean? And, And especially in terms of evangelicalism, you know, critique them confidently and lovingly as you said so mm-hmm. i'm just so thankful man that you were here man you dropped so many major keys bro so mm-hmm. but i'm encouraged by that awesome man yeah i think you know this is definitely a great conversation it's definitely an appropriate way to end it or at least put a, a cap on it and i think you know for you know even i think about people like um pastor ryan you know the guy who commented on our on our last episode yeah and really just um you know gave us a shout out on on how impactful this was for him as he is a white pastor in Brooklyn and as he thinks about these issues and talks about it with his church. You know, I think about people like that um, who, you know, are trying to position themselves almost as um, friends, right, Mm. or as allies. Um, Man, just keep keep doing what you're doing, you know. Um, Keep seeking to understand um, and I just pray that, um, because ultimately when we talk about, um, change and we talk about power, um, you know, we can sit here crying as the, the kind of quiet minority, but really we'll, mm. we will need, um, our allies on the other side, our ally, our yeah. white, you know, allies to come alongside us and also, um, cry in the same way to empathize in the same ways and to enter into the shoes of people who have been hurting. Um, and so, yeah, I appreciate 
um, even Pastor Ryan for um, commenting. And that was good stuff. Yeah, for me, uh, just it's just deep. Um, I just have to enter into a space of just a, a, like apologizing to a lot of old friends and current friends and people that I've I've. I've spent a lot of time demonizing churches that that I came from, churches I got saved in, hmm. and because they didn't, I use doctrine as like a complete line in the sand to completely um, just eradicate any kind of positive influence that they have ever had. Um, and there's just a lot of guilt, even just in what we've talked about of myself. I have, I drank that cup. I washed myself in Mm. the bleach. Mm. Um, and I just remember conversations with people and I cringe when I think back to what I said, Mm. um, of just completely denouncing their influence or, or them having any kind of positive impact solely based on, um, doctrine. And, um, yeah, I just have a greater appreciation for churches in my neighborhood that have been there for a while. They certainly have their issues, but, um, they have uh, many of the Mm -hmm. people that I'm trying to reach and without them, I wouldn't have had a church to go to. And so like there were no white evangelical churches in my neighborhood growing up. So, um, you know, we talk about the black church, but you know, the same thing goes for these indigenous churches, you know, Caribbean and things like that, that have popped up, especially in the city and have been toiling in the city for a long time. And so I really, um, this whole conversation has just given me a greater appreciation for my spiritual heritage in a sense of just churches that really poured into me mm-hmm. before I found out who John Piper even was, good. you know, before so I found out who Tim Keller was. And so, um, yeah, just give me a greater appreciation for them. And, um, I'm just going to be spending, um, just more time, just understanding the full spectrum of, you know, we talk about, you know, heresy and just like the idea that slavery is a heresy and like, and white supremacy right. should be held in yeah. the same regard for doctrinal in the same way we hold doctrinal error and things like that. Yeah. So, um, just a more, um, a more fair way of looking at each and every, um, you know, leader as I kind of inspect, um, whether I'm down with them or not. And so this has been great for me, uh, James, again, thank you so much for coming. You, oh man, I need to listen to this episode again. What? (laughs) So many dimes dropped. Mm. Um, I really appreciate taking your time and for real, like we up late. I know whatever time y'all listen to this, this is like, (laughs) we going past midnight on this joint. It's Wednesday, but we had to do it though. Oh Lord. So man, thank you so much for coming. You were like, hey, I know you could have been anywhere else. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) warm pillows. Uh, But shout out to you, man. Just really appreciate everything. Guys, it's been a great, fantastic episode. Guys, stay tuned for more uh, from us consistently. Really trying to give y'all at least two per month. We got another episode lined up. It's going to be just as amazing. Um, We will have a all-women takeover Mm. of the City Image podcast. None of our voices will be on it, praise God. Um, And we'll be talking, well, not us, but they will be talking about just celebrating women in the church. I think that's really important, especially coming on the heels of our first conversation just about rape culture and different things and church has not been uh, immune to these ideas of male supremacy and abuse and things like that so really want to spend some time celebrating our women and uh just men giving them this platform to really speak um, to our audience so guys keep it locked we'll be giving that episode uh, pretty soon so stay tuned city image is the best